This is the life story of Minnie Bree Stubbs. I was born in Newark, New Jersey, April 25, 1911. Moved to Arlington Heights, Illinois at age three. Went through high school in Arlington Heights and went into training at St. Francis Hospital in Evanston, Illinois. I graduated in 1932. I entered the Army in January of 1937. My first duty station was Fort Riley, Kansas. I stayed there for three years. It was a nice station and I enjoyed it very much. I volunteered to go to the Philippine Islands in 1940. I arrived there in April and I was assigned to Fort Mills at Corregidor. It was there that I met Captain Guy Stubbs, who I later married. I fell in love with him the first day I saw him. He was stationed out at Fort Drum, which is another island off of Corregidor. And I would see him well, once every one or two weeks, and then we'd have weekends in Manila together. Then we we played golf, and we swam, and we bowled, and it was a nice little post until the war came. In September of 1941, I transferred into Fort McKinley, which is just outside Manila, because Stubby had transferred into Manila at that time, and I could see him more. There, Fort McKinley was a very nice post, and we played golf every day, and when I wasn't on duty, and I went into Manila quite often, we'd get in there in about 10 minutes from by the bus. War started December 7th, 1941. We lasted about 10 days at Fort McKinley. They bombed us out. We then went into Manila, and I was stationed in Sternberg. We worked very hard, and of course our meals were cut immediately to two meals a day. I was at several different places in Manila. Uh, at a normal school uh, where we had a, established a hospital at Hailei, which was a uh, sports palace there. And then finally on Christmas night, 19 nurses went, went to Bataan, and I was one of them. We were sent up to establish a hospital in the woods called Hospital Number Two. It was on a stream, and we uh, did what we could with what little supplies we had and started the hospital. There were no buildings, we're just under the trees. We uh, did have a tent for the operating room. The laundry was done in the stream, and that's also where we took our baths. And uh, we survived there for almost three months, about three months. The casualties started com coming in by the truckload. We worked very hard, sometimes 12 and 14 hours a day. Everybody had malaria and dysentery and just plain fatigue. With only two meals a day of rice, it was kind of hard to put in all that time. And all we had was a, about a half a cup full of rice. We had fish once in a while, we called them goldfish. Once in a while, we'd have carabao meat, and occasionally we'd have uh, horse meat, which isn't bad. It's very red. It has a, a distinct flavor of its own. The large trees there were used for shelters. Uh, the bombers came over 10, 2, and 6 regularly every day. We could almost set our watch by it. Most of the patients had malaria and dysentery and weak from no food. 
the rainy season starts in the Philippines in April, and we thought that uh, we better dig in. So they did get some buses from nearby towns, and we uh, tried to make living quarters out of them. Well, we got a few of them before we were ordered out. We, uh, more patients were coming in all the time, more weak and tired mostly. We only had very few medicines by that time. I had one medicine glass, and I would just throw the pills in their mouth and give them a drink. We had beef once when they bombed the commissary at Corregidor, so they had to get rid of their meat, so they started over to us. It sure tasted good. The last time I saw Stubby was April 5th, 1942, but he couldn't tell us that we were going about to surrender. He was at the headquarters with General MacArthur, but uh, he kept wanting me to go to Corregidor, but I didn't want to leave. I liked it out there in the woods. Word came about the April the 8th, about 8 o'clock at night, that we, all the nurses were ordered over to Corregidor. We had no say-so about it. It was terrible to leave the ward and see it with the, not being able to tell the patients that we wouldn't be back. And uh, seeing their eyes just following us. We started back and down the road where we had to wait while we blew up our own ammunition dump. I was sick. I had malaria and dysentery, and that morning I'd taken a large dose of quinine. I was so deaf and nauseated that I couldn't know what was going on. Actually, I didn't care if I lived or died. Sometimes I wished I'd have died. When we got down, to, so we had to wait until it was daylight then, and we had we got down to the uh, to the boat, and of course there was no boat. They left without us because it was about time for the bombers to come over again. Soldiers were coming and going, and they didn't know what they were doing either. We went down to the Navy tunnel where we thought we could get something to eat because we were all pretty hungry, but we'd forgotten. Well, we didn't know. They'd already blown up the Navy tunnel, and all it was was bodies. Finally, they got in touch with Corregidor, and they did send some more boats over for us. We finally arrived at Corregidor about noon, tired, sick, and hungry. I couldn't carry my little musette bag, so I just left it on the road, and I just arrived with the clothes I had on. We went to work the next day. It was crowded in the tunnel, hot, and the lights would keep going off, the air conditioner would go off. Every once in a while, they would shell the entrance, and we'd get more casualties in. We all worked very hard. And very hot at times. Between shellings, when we have a, a breather, we'd run outside and get a breath of fresh air. In the evenings, we'd play, play bridge in the, the hallway, and General Wainwright used to come by every night and talk to us and try to encourage us. But finally, six weeks later, on May the 8th, he had to go forward with the white flag, and we surrendered. The Japanese came in rather quietly. They looked at the surprise when they saw us. They didn't know what we were. They thought perhaps we were geisha girls. We stayed there in the tunnel until mid-July, and then we moved up to the top side to the old hospital. It had been badly, badly bombed, but usable. At least it was hot. It was out of that hot tunnel. Around August 2nd, I believe, we, took, we were taken into by an old cattle boat, I believe, into Santa Tomas in Manila. I only knew one civilian, and that was Mickey Shirk. I'd only met her one time. But when I looked at all those people in that camp, I thought I had to find me some friends. So I looked her up, and it's a good thing I did because she helped me later on in my camp life. 
They la they'd locked us up again when we got into San Tomas for six weeks because we were bad girls. We were taken to a old girls' school there, and uh, they fed us twice a day, and they took us out to air us like a dog about 15 minutes a day. It took us about a week to clean the place up so we could even live there. We played games, talked mostly. One of the girls had brought a dictionary, a large one, Webster's Dictionary, and so we uh, tried to make words out of all the uh, different letters of the alphabet, and so it kept us from leaving, losing our sanity. Had roll call every day, and of course we did have a baby born, and it happened to be a boy. One of the nurses that her husband was with the military had been with us and uh, was about to deliver when we were in Corregidor, but she did wait till we got in there. They let her go out to the Philippine General Hospital to have the baby. Well, of course, when she came back, that made one more on the roll call. Well, the Japanese couldn't understand that. How did he get in there? And uh, we stood roll call, I think, practically the whole day. And they, I think they can only count up to 10, and then they start over again. But we finally got it through their head that he was born out there and came in. Finally, they let us go into camp after about six weeks. And we lived in a small building by ourselves. It was nice because we had our own bathroom. Hattie Bradley was one of our nurses, very clever, and she wrote short plays, and we had parties every week. Made up our own entertainment. Of course, nothing to eat for the parties, but we tried to entertain ourselves. The girls' school where we had been staying uh, was made into the large hospital at that time, and we took over. The Navy nurses had charge of the children's hospital and the TB. We ran it like a regular army hospital. We had two large wards, one for the male and one for the female. We had a small operating room. We were able to do minor surgery. Didn't have much medicine, but we used a lot of GLC, which is tender loving care. We worked six hours a day for two weeks, and then we were off a week. But it took us that long to get our laundry done, because everything had to be done by hand. We washed in, you know, they looked like my, uh, horse troughs out in the back. Then you hung them up on the line, but you had to stay stay with them because uh, people would steal your clothes. Finally, they moved us out of that into the main building because the women and the young children took over our little building. We had three rooms. There was about 21 of us in each room. They were all classrooms because Santa Tomas was an American university, quite large, had a big campus. Had to stand in line for everything, including the bathroom. There were about five shower heads in there, and uh, three or four of you get under one shower head to take a shower. We had to get up about four o'clock to get on duty at seven o'clock. It was kind of bad for us for that reason. Had breakfast at six in the morning and supper at night at six. You stood in line for everything. You got a cup of rice with water. We called it like a lugal. It was very thin. Sometimes we'd get coconut juice and tallinum, which is something like grass and tastes about like it. Crack corn once in a while. Commodies, which are sweet potatoes. Our quarters were very small. Had one army cot with a one foot locker, one foot between. Some of us didn't have a little table or anything we could grab, a chair or something to make into a table. Hung our clothes on the bed. And of course, the bed bugs were constant. We were constantly trying to clean up our place, but you never did get rid of the bed bugs. We had classes. They had school for the children, all grades. And we had uh, 
all kinds of classes. We had art, music appreciation, astronomy, mathematics, Spanish, German, and just anything you could just about think of. They had all kinds of instructors. We had professors and everybody in the world in that camp. As I said before, we had lines for everything. You stood in line three or four blocks long and perhaps you'd get an egg. And then we got a uh, ounce of salt every once in a while, once a month, with rock salt. And I uh, round mine up and made it into, so I used for to brush my teeth. And I believe that's why I uh, have my good teeth today. We knitted uh, pants from brassiere out of store string. We used bamboo needles for knitting needles, even socks. They're quite comfortable. I brought a pair home, and they will be in the museum here in San Antonio when it is finally opened. Didn't have much soap. And then they were allowed to have shanties. If you could, they were little, like little lean-to made out of bamboo. But of course, we nurses didn't have much money, so we couldn't build any. But we made friends with some of the civilians that had money, and they could buy them, and sometimes they'd let us use them. And if you had extra food, you could go out there and, and cook it, and at least get away from the crowd. And another nurse and I used to go out and take our little chairs and go out as far as we could, and we'd do some sketching. She was quite an artist. I really got my start in painting there and got my interest up. Didn't have any paints, but at least we could sketch. We had boxing at night and played records and sat outside and they had plays and people would get up and give lectures. That is the first two years. After the last few years, they didn't feel like doing much of that as the food got shorter. We did have radio, shortwave. We had some very clever electricians there, and they got a radio, shortwave radio together, and we got the news pretty well. They, uh, the men that took out the garbage detail had the radio. And uh, we had maps of the war. We knew what was going on. I got one note from Stubbing. Didn't say much, except that he was uh, all okay and on his way to the southern islands. That's the At least I knew he was alive. I have got out of camp for one year. As I said, I met this Mickey Shirk, and she was out in a, a, a little Hospicio de San Jose. It was in the middle of the Pasig River. It was an old uh, children's home, an old people's home, that they let 120 of the uh, sunshiners, we called them. They were the older men, the Spanish-American War veterans. They were ages ranged from 60 to about 80 or 90. And they weren't able to stand in line. And that's one thing I will say. The Japanese are good to the old people and to the uh, children. They had three nurses there, and so they need and three orderlies. They needed another nurse, and so she asked if I would like to come out. Well, I jumped at the chance because I knew my clothes were out there, and I thought if I could get a hold of them, I could sell them and get some money. And if you have money, you can buy food at the black market. There'll always be a black market if there's two Americans together. Shorty Hall was one of our orderlies there, and he was married to a Filipino. Uh, she should have been in camp, but she stayed out because her family were quite wealthy. She's the one that sold my clothes for me. He played bridge. He was an excellent bridge player and poker, so he taught us how to play both, and we, at night, that's what we would do with our time. Uh, we had to go into camp once a month to renew our uh, passes. And when we did, we would take notes in from the prisoners. It was dangerous, but they never searched the women. 
the men, they did. So we, the women did most of the rope passing. Life was more pleasant out there at the Hospicio. We were able to cook extra food when we got it. And we, a Spanish doctor came in to take care of the patients, and he was good to us. He would bring us food and do little things for us. After they made the landing, our troops landed in Leyte, however, the Japanese made us go back into camp in September of 1944. They were getting leery about the end of the war coming up very soon. We were very busy at the hospital then. People were dying all the time from starvation. They had very, very few medications. Rations were cut more and more. Rumors were flying fast and furious. One day I was out doing my washing and I looked up and the, the sky was just black with planes. I thought, well, it must be ours. I didn't think the Japs had that many planes. About that time we heard the bombs. They had hit the airfield not too far away. Then one of the planes flew very low over the camp and dropped his glasses with a note attached. They said, the old witch is dead. That night they played on the loudspeaker, pennies from heaven, and we were just hilarious with joy. We knew it wouldn't be much longer. The Japs were running around like mad, trying to pack up all their belongings. And on February 3rd, 1945, at 9 p.m., we heard machine gun firing very heavily outside the gate, and pretty soon a tank came down with flash, uh, spotlights flashing. They got up to the front of the building and they hollered, any Americans in here? And we knew it was our troops. I tell you, everybody went wild. Of course, the Japanese were throwing hand grenades and, and hollering and shouting and running around, and they finally holed up into the end of one of the buildings and held the men and the little boys as hostages. They were there for two days, and finally they uh, bargained with them and let them go out, carrying their sidearms. And uh, as one of the soldiers says, don't worry, they won't last very long. They won't get very far. They, When the uh, troops left Manila, uh, Leyte, General MacArthur told the, there were three of them, the engineers, the 1st Cavalry, and the um, Marines to get, they came by different routes, and to get into Manila at whatever cost, not to stop to uh, fix their wounded to bring them with them, which they did. So they came in, of course, brought these truckloads of wounded, and so we went right to work, right there in the main lobby. And we had all worked all day, and of course we were pretty weak anyway, and we started to faint. Doctors fainted, nurses fainted, and uh, Colonel Hall, the uh, commanding officer that came with him, couldn't understand it, and he said, what's your last meal you had when we told him we had it at 6 o'clock that night. He ordered his troops to bring in uh, a case of milk, canned milk, and he gave us each a can and it was the best stuff I'd ever tasted. Of course they brought in food so the next morning we had our first real breakfast. And they ran up the flag and everybody stood around and they took on that fried egg and we all sang God bless America. And the, the soldiers were all crying. They couldn't understand how we could be still so loyal to our country. About two days after they came in, they started to shell us from the wall city. They started at the top of the building, the, the top floor, and they went from room to room, and it was terrible because we didn't expect it. The uh, women and children were in the rooms and many were killed. I think we had over a hundred casualties that time. General, we had to evacuate the building. General MacArthur, and finally they did uh, 
stopped firing because we finally knocked the gun out. They cross-fired. General MacArthur came in two or three days later, and he came up to the nurses' doors. He stopped at each door and bowed his head and said, God bless you all. Thank God you're safe. We left camp February 12th. We were the first ones to, to fly back. We were taken down to Leyte, and we spent 10 days there while they sent down to Australia to get clothes because we didn't have any warm clothes. And they brought us overcoats and warm clothes, and they wanted to fatten us up a little bit. Our, uh, we stopped along the way at several islands and had breakfast in the middle of the night and lunch and all, very, and they fed us very good all the way back. We got to Hawaii. When we got off the plane there, the general said we all looked so tired that he insisted that we stay for three days in Hawaii. And they treated us royally, put us up in barracks at uh, Hamilton Field. And they did a, a small physical on us then. Then we allowed, three days later, we flew back to San Francisco and were taken into Letterman. And there we were given a, uh, given a complete physical. We were each allowed to call home. And then I left for St. Louis. I had 30 days leave. I went back to to duty in June of 1945. My first duty station was Percy Jones Hospital, Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, uh, Stubby uh, was liberated August the 8th, 1949, after the atom, atom bomb was dropped, because he was up in Japan at that time. I didn't know if he was alive or dead, but a friend of mine in Chicago saw his picture in the Chicago Tribune and sent it to me, and it, it was him. He called me then on September 30th when he arrived in San Francisco. He took a boat home because he was tired. He was shipped to Walter Reed for, and he spent a year and a half there as he had picked up schistosomiasis. In 1947, he was discharged and was sent to duty at Fort Bliss, Texas. I was going to school down here at Fort Sam at uh, San Antonio, Texas. At Christmas time, we took leave and went to Mexico, and we got married. I had to finish my class, which got out in February, and I joined him in El Paso. We set up housekeeping. We had two children, Susan, born in 1949, and Guy in 1950. We had a wonderful marriage and enjoyed our children very much. Stubby retired in 1954, and we moved back to San Antonio, Texas. His health began to fail in 1960. He entered the hospital in 1963, and he died in 1965 due to his prison experiences. I went back to work 25 years later as public health department in San Antonio, Texas. I worked for six years and enjoyed it very much. Now I'm just retired. I keep busy sewing, painting, church work, and various clubs and meetings, and now mostly keeping doctor's appointments. But I enjoy life. On April 8, 1973, or 1983, I mean, we were went to Washington, D.C. for a POW MIA Recognition Day. The Veterans Department arranged it all, and they wined and dined us royally. There were 32 of us came two army, uh, Navy nurses, the rest were the Army nurses. Some I hadn't seen since 1945, so it was quite a reunion. Had a wonderful trip. They, the uh, 
disabled veterans entertained us. The American veterans had a big dinner for us. And we had a nice trip to uh, Arlington Cemetery and uh, a tour of Washington and got all kinds of pictures and mementos. And I have them all framed now and on the wall on my stairway up to my bedroom. So I look at them every day and as I call it my stairway to fame. And at the top I have my American flag which was flown over the Capitol April 9th, 1983.